listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry. Oh, you guys, my boys. My boys. It's so sexy sounding, though. It's so fucked it's up. Did sexy you get throat fucked by a Transformer? <laughs> yeah. I didn't Actually, even know they had dicks. Funny story, I did. Yeah, Sean, totally. Mm-hmm. How, how do we, how, how did we follow up last episode? <gasps> oh. There's no way. There's no possible way. So this is our farewell podcast. <laughs> I've been Sean Moriarty. There's nothing we could ever do better than the last episode. So sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty epic. Are you happy, Fetty? Are you happy? <laughs> I hope you're satisfied. You put you us You beautiful out of bearded fuck. <laughs> Look what you've done to us. With this summer coat. <laughs> it was a summer sweater, Roxy. A summer sweater. <laughs> fuck off. Oh my god! Um, yeah, that last episode was really rock solid and probably the smartest we've sounded in a long time. Um, <laughs> That's <a> shit. <laughs> we didn't, and we didn't talk that much. So, what does that have to say about the quality of episodes we've been putting out? <laughs> We're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. wow, nice. And then Brian has a boner. Like, I don't know. I, I just immediately started drinking in between the episodes. <laughs> Because I felt like such a failure. I was like, that's the best I'll ever be. That's the best thing I'll ever say. It was in response to that beautiful bearded filmmaker. He was pretty. He was was very, very pretty. Um, If you guys didn't listen to the last episode... Go back. Fuck you. Go back and listen to that episode. (laughs) You fuck fuck your family. Go back and listen. Uh, Fetty Ponce. This guy's a fucking... He's great, and he's, the Oscar he's goes too. Exactly. I mean, he's, he's he's got a he's got a very good mind, artistic and creative mind, and I think I think he's going to go really far. And um, just tune in October sixth for his project Slumberland, that mm-hmm. is going to be launching on Kickstarter to fund. It's going to be Sebast. It's Sebastian's Odyssey. Thank you. Sebastian's Odyssey dot com is where you can go to yeah. learn more about the existing. I think the full premise. title is Sebastian's Odyssey in Slumberland. Or no, Sebastian's Slumberland Odyssey. That's yeah. the full yeah, title. Yeah, Slumberland is the universe that he's, like, the, yeah. the fantasy yeah. world that he's yeah. creating for multiple episodes. Which so ambitious. Is, um, um, but he, this dude, has worked on, you, you fucking throw a stone at a Marvel movie, he's worked on it from the back end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it he, sounds like GDT's got his back. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like yeah, I just right. made that Guillermo up. By the del way, Toro. who's GDT? Calling, what the fuck? I'm now calling Guillermo del Toro GDT forever. Oh. Now he's like RDJ. I just I loved I loved the like he busted out the Spanish. It was just like oh <gasps> shit. Oh my nipples got hard. <laughs> <laughs> I was like yeah, that was so cool. Motherfucker, that's awesome. Um, so like, how are we gonna top that? I don't guys? Yeah, um, Sean, make a dick joke now. <laughs> <clears throat> What <laughs> What breaks when you put it in a two-year-old? Their pelvis. Oh, my God. There's Akbar, your dick Sean. The you know what? No, no, no. I'm sorry. Let's use one that we can use on the podcast that's not super Akbar-ish, all right? Yeah. What do you get when you put a baby in a microwave? Oh, my God. An erection. Oh, my God. Akbar, Sean. That's... That like I'm just like kind of disappointed actually like that's the wait, best you can wait, do. I don't get it. I'm sorry. I don't get it. Every time I microwave a baby, I get hard because I like it. Roxy, do I have to spell <laughs> shit out for you? Uh, you said, "What do you get?" I don't know. Like Roxy doesn't get an erection. 
horrified is what you we get. get. A we get horrified. Nightmares. Um, <laughs> so, um, so segue to film. Uh, what, what <laughs> so, uh, so, so movies say, happen. No, dude, I just say, I say, fuck it. Let's get into the topic of the episode because obviously we're getting weird, and let's have a completely disjointed intro. So, um, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nerds on Film. Brian Moriarty. I'm Sarah Ashley. I'm Roxy Berry. And I'm Sean Moriarty, and I apologize. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. I sh- uh, so, um, anyway. Speaking of great, innovative, really unique, and intelligent directors, I'm really glad that we were able to talk to Fetty and really pick his brain. Because you know whose brain I'd really like to pick one of these days, who's also a really creative and ingenious and artistic director? Me? Sarah, that's for our <laughs> home independent movies, Sarah. That's okay. not for mass release. I told you. It doesn't count when all you've directed is dinner theater versions of Firefly episodes. It also doesn't wow. count if your audience is wait, on wait, 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 wait. I want to do that. <laughs> I just want to reiterate. It also doesn't count if your audience is red tube. Exactly. So, so that being said, wow. I want to talk to David Lynch, mm. and I've been wanting to do this episode forever since you came on the show pretty much seriously though it's like disney movies and david lynch how could you go wrong <laughs> <laughs> one of these things is not like the Fuck other that, but I'm really david are lynch, they david lynch should do like a pixar movie he i would should. just like to Jesus. say david lynch presents the aristocats oh, i wanted the to make a film i wanted to He'd make a film that explored the aristocrats before he would do i just i love the idea of like just trying to listen to david lynch say i wanted to make a film that represented the darker side of humanity oh, God. represented through these felines who get drugged with milk because society is being drugged with spectacle <laughs> <laughs> right so we're gonna talk about david lynch today yes we are yes we are because yeah. i mean if you've ever seen a david lynch movie then that's like definitely one of those films where you start watching this you go at a certain point yeah he's like he is i mean he's truly a unique voice he really is yeah. he's not afraid to like fuck it i'm gonna go artsy mm-hmm. with my film and i'm still gonna tell a great story but i'm just i'm gonna Go symbolic and shit. Gonna go subconscious on that motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. and, and he likes, like, you know, just in the style, he tends to play with a lot of artis- artistic scenery <laughs> that, like, you kind of are just wondering, like, what the hell does this have to do with the thing I'm about to see? Yeah. And it doesn't always quite make sense until later. Um, you know, he likes to play a lot with vignettes and kind mm-hmm. of um, intersecting storylines that don't appear to intersect at first, but then really start to come together. Yeah. I mean, I, it's kind of crazy to me that I feel like his television work, aside from Twin Peaks, which, again, got, like, that's one of those things that got screwed with the studios, but, like, I feel like his, his brain works so well with episodic ideas that, you know, the, the TV thing didn't really, you know, has failed for him a couple of times, but, you know, Twin Peaks is theoretically coming back. It's not theoretically. It's, oh, yeah, it's yeah. happening now. So, yeah, yeah. And he's, 18 and, episodes. And he was behind it, then he wasn't behind it, and he's behind it again. Yeah, yep. exactly. So this will be very interesting. It, it will, will be totally interesting. Yeah, it's just such a... God, just, that's the only way I can think of it. It's just like he's just... He really is an auteur. Like, and I know that's the... 
Like that's such a douchey word to throw around. But like You only get one, Brian, every episode. I had I had Sacrosanct Verisimilitude Arturism. The Sacrosanct um, Verisimilitude of the late August Autour by Brian Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> that is genius. Um, he's one of the people who like that word is completely justified. Yeah. yeah. Completely justified with him. For once. <laughs> yeah. Um it pretty much started with a racer head. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, if you want to talk about David Lynch doing a David Lynch, mm-hmm. like that is the most David Lynch, David Lynch will ever be mm-hmm. in that movie. Yeah, that yeah. is pure David Lynch. That is unadulterated David Lynch. Yeah. And it's considered one of his, one of his three masterpieces. His three masterpieces are considered uh, Eraserhead, Blue Velvet, and Mulholland Drive. Yes. Right. And I mean, he, I mean, he clearly got the attention of Mel Brooks because mm-hmm. Mel Brooks saw that viewing and walked out of the viewing room and kissed him on the face and he's like you're fucking crazy and I love you for it yeah and then he said let me help produce your next movie and then did Elephant Man and, and garnered right. Lynch's first ever right. Oscar nomination for yeah. best director right I mean this guy and he's... it prompted the Academy to put in a category for best hair and makeup that's crazy yeah yeah like the Academy didn't have that before mm-hmm. yeah and I, I mean, they had done special awards for it prior yeah. but never like a consistent territory and like I, I swear to Jeebus <laughs> John Hurt in that movie, that was a brilliant performance. Yeah. Absolutely. And, like, and also a young uh, unsung Anthony Hopkins, too. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that movie is spectacular. Yeah. A younger Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> you know what's One, yeah. about that is they say that The Elephant Man was probably Lynch's most subdued movie. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And yet, it's even though the movie was shot entirely in black and white, mm. I noticed that he's got this, he's got this really big hard-on for, for neo-noir. Mm-hmm. visual yeah. stylings and obviously in the films like <laughs> the three masterpieces you talked about two of them <laughs> happen to be very neo-noir mm-hmm. stories but mm-hmm. um but particularly like with the contrast of the shots yeah. uh, in mm-hmm. elephant man too like that's so it's so obvious like yeah. that he's influenced by that that style and that well, let's talk about a little bit maybe of origins as far as how he even came into this artistic space right. emotionally you know like I love learning about his childhood and how unique it really was, where here's a kid who was born in Montana in, in 1946, right? And his father works for the USDA, and that means that the family has to travel. If right. anything, Lynch's two younger siblings were born in different states, respectively, because the family would move at the end of practically every year. So here's a kid who has to adapt to yeah. a very on-the-go lifestyle. Sure. And he ends up seeing a lot and meeting a lot of new people. He hates school, but he hits it off with people very well. Right. And he has this incredibly creative mind and passion to create. Sure. And obviously, like, he did great things as a kid. I mean, he yeah. was an Eagle Scout. Like, yeah. that's... Not many people, like, there's tons of Boy Scouts out there. Not everybody makes it to Eagle Scout. Yeah. Like, getting Eagle Scout is almost kind of like getting a degree because totally. like it's that like it's that level of difficulty i love that story because you got to go to jfk's inauguration exactly like how cool mm-hmm. is that oh yeah by the way so you're an eagle scout and you get to meet the president yeah <laughs> um or cool. see kennedy become president like that's um, unbelievable but he was always a pretty artistic kid though right yeah like he um he always had like an interest in like wanting to like maybe pursue being a professional painter. Totally. Um, and then he actually went to the school of the Museum of uh, Fine Arts in Boston, 
but decided that he wasn't super into it, and he ended up traveling Europe with freaking Sissy Spacek's husband. I know. What the hell was so that? Cool. <laughs> they were schoolmates. Yeah, they were buddies, and yeah. they wanted to go to Europe for three years to study under this expressionist expressionistic artist. Um, his name was Oscar Kokoschka, and uh, unfortunately, the sad part about that is that they got to Europe. And they tried to find this dude, and this dude was, like, AWOL. He, he was, was not available, yeah. yeah. So they're like, fuck this shit, we're gonna go back home and make our own art. And they left after 15 days. <laughs> yeah. Three-year plan down the tube. Yeah. And so they just ended up going to the, um, he ended up going to the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. And he, you know, he met his first wife there and yeah. ended up having, like, a major influence on his yeah. on his artistic life. My favorite part about that Pennsylvania piece is that while he's living there, him and his wife and their newborn daughter manage to live in a home that has, like, apparently it's, like, a mansion in the middle of a really sketchy neighborhood in yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah. And the thing about this neighborhood is what you, you know, what you hear about is it's got horrible crime rates, mm-hmm. poverty... Like, it's just everywhere, and people are suffering, and there's so much violence, and there's so much crime, and there's so much fear, and just um, just a lot of sadness, mm-hmm. and Lynch apparently found his, his biggest creative drive from living there. And uh, from that point, he's able to start really creating some cool um, short films, both animated and live action. He ends up winning an award at the school. And um, that award is given out with at the like, end of the year. With, like, a cheap, like, 16-millimeter camera and oh, yeah. $200 yeah. to produce the short film called Six Men Getting Sick Six Times. Yeah. And yeah. that's what won him the award. Yeah. yeah. And that, 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 that specific piece itself was actually inspired by a painting that he had made. Mm. And he wanted to see what it would be like if those, those characters in the painting interacted. That's crazy. So that was his creative inspiration right there. I love he it. He is completely inspired by his own his own mental processes. And that theme carries out into his entire career. Huh. Cuz he literally plays out his dreams, yep. his inspirations in his life, his relationships with his family. Um this other film that he made called The Alphabet, it's literally just his wife at the time. Her name was Peggy. It's just a shot of her. And she is just literally reciting the alphabet. And apparently that experience was something that he got from Peggy's niece when she had a nightmare one time. And she woke up and she was just like reciting the alphabet. And apparently he heard about that and got inspired and wanted to make a weird little short film kind of. Apparently there's a moment when you hear a baby crying and that baby is his daughter. Wow. So he actually uses his family in his films. And... um, in that regard, it's all interpretations of the subconscious and how he wants to kind of portray it. Yeah. And I think that's what's so genius about him, that he's really unafraid to do that. Yeah. yeah and he's almost never direct with any of his, um, like, with any of what he's trying to get across. Totally. He's always making people discover what he's trying to say, that he doesn't just say it straight out, which is an amazing experience for someone who's as much of a film nerd as us, looking for... <laughs> Those little Easter eggs. He's like a human Easter egg. Yeah, I mean, that said, I feel like Elephant Man was pretty straightforward. Yeah. Oh, that's why I said most of the yeah. time. There's When you're talking about Dune and you're talking about like the straight story, even though the, no, the straight story is a little over the place too, but 
when he's doing a story like that, it's it seems to be that he at least he and that's another strength of his. At least he knows when the linear storytelling process is necessary, and he can yeah. kind of forego yeah. his uh, his metaphorical approach. Well, and I think also the thing that stands out about Dune and Elephant Man is that those are adaptations. Yeah. Yep. Like exactly. Elephant Man being um, adapted from a play and Dune being adapted from a book, obviously. And here's Obby. my thing: David Lynch is not good at working with adaptations. Yeah. He hates that process. He's a guy who has such strong artistic impulses and integrity about his own like need to express himself that he will go in kicking and screaming about what he wants to be seen put on the screen. Yeah. Well, he's still pissed Then why off did about he do Dune. it 3 yeah. times? Because he was He did under it with oh, wait, sorry. Elephant Man, Dune, Straight Story, and Wild at Heart are all adaptations from yeah. books. The, I think the good thing, though, that he had the advantage of working uh, on Elephant Man with is because Mel Brooks is a very hands-off producer. Like, he's just like, no, the, you you do your thing. You let me know. I will I will get the studio off your back. Yeah. Like, that's his approach. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the biggest influence that was there was, hey, can you make sure that Anne Bancroft is in this movie? Pretty much. Which, exactly. you know what? She was awesome. Of course yes. she was awesome. Because Anne Bancroft is awesome. Mm-hmm. I love her. Yeah, exactly. Best. But, you know, at that point, like, you see this conflict that he does have with wanting to maintain his artistic integrity in contrast with the studio's wishes and his obligation to the studio as a working so he professional. Was, so he was under contract for Dune, I know that for sure. Mm-hmm. But, but for Wild at Heart, I was pretty sure he was really passionate about the book and he worked really closely with the author of the book for that movie. Maybe that's why it was so successful. Yeah, um, because the author of that book also helped him come up with the story for Lost Highway. Like, they had a long relationship. Right, right. But I think, um, kind of backtracking a little bit, though, this this conflict I'm talking about really started with Eraserhead. Okay. Because um, he made that film when he was a student at the AFI Conservatory back in Oh, it is very student film. Yeah. So what happened, though, is that he was getting so much input from his professors and colleagues and fellow students that he was getting overwhelmed by mm-hmm. all of their kind of suggestions to, like, lengthen the script and add dialogue and things like that, that what he ended up with was um, it actually wasn't for Eraserhead that he was getting the feedback for. It was a film that he was, like, workshopping. Okay. And from that experience of workshopping, I forget what the name of it's called. I think it was called, like, The Ground, the something, I don't know. Basically, he scrapped it, and he decided to write Eraserhead and create Eraserhead without anybody's input. Yeah. So he said, fuck that. I'm going to do my own thing. Ended up taking five years to make it. Wow. And basically the budget was like a thousand like a couple of thousand dollars from AFI. His dad giving him a loan and money from his paper route of distributing the Wall Street Journal. Oh my god. This is a grown man. Like this is what I love about this story is that he busted his ass to get How much do you think made. he had to pay the city of Chernobyl for the baby? <laughs> Not enough, apparently. Because that yeah. shit still haunts my fucking nightmares ever since I saw that. And like, I think the first time I saw it was like 99 or 2000 when I was getting really into weird fucked up movies. I was like, I'm going into a David Lynch and Darren Aronofsky fucking down spiral. I'm just going to watch all <laughs> these movies. And uh, that baby, that deformed fucking baby, like I see it and it just creeps me the fuck out it was like et with cancer <laughs> wow that creepy. here's your episode title yep <laughs> it's like oh ET with cancer wow yikes but seriously i love no the offense thing- to et yeah 
no offense. I actually watched Eraserhead a couple of years ago with a buddy of mine. And um, I'm not going to lie, we were imbibing on some substances when we were getting involved with the film. Mm-hmm. And it definitely enhanced the experience. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say I didn't enjoy it. Um, <laughs> but it definitely freaked me the fuck out yeah. <laughs> in all the right ways. Right. Apparently, uh, fun little movie trivia fact, Sissy Spacek actually assisted in holding the slate in between shots. Yeah. Because her husband, uh, Fisk, the guy that he went to Europe with, right. ended up um, not only performing in the film, but helping basically, like, produce it and create it so that's so cool though i love when people are just like they come together and they're just like well, we'll just, let's yeah. just make art you know i love that totally so and also i, I want to ask you something since you're the historian yeah did he feel trapped by his wife's pregnancy at all or his girl like was any of that yeah. based on truth you know it's funny you mentioned that because there there is talk about how he would have been described as a very distant father I mean, he was mm. enthusiastic and he loved his daughter, but he was definitely emotionally removed. Um, and if anything, uh, him and his first wife divorced not yeah. shortly after Whoa. his first daughter was born. Um, so I think he definitely was making this film with that sort of anxiety of being a yeah. parent for the first time in mind, because you obviously see that in how yeah. it's portrayed. Um, kind of fear and death and how those yes. two themes you know, are intertwined yeah. in this there's also, story. Um, there's also a theme of uh, of technology being portrayed as like a distraction and or, yeah. you know, ruiner of life. Yeah. And I was wondering, like, did that, uh, like, I know that that becomes a theme in a lot of his movies, but mm-hmm. I mean, do, well, from what you've read, what I didn't read up on is, where does that come from? Like, has he always just been like, like, uh, I'm sure he's one of these guys that's going to stick to film until the day he dies. Like, he doesn't like, maybe probably doesn't like the digital medium. But do you know where that might have started? You know, honestly, I don't really think I can pinpoint it. But all I can really say is I feel like because Lynch's films are so psychologically minded, Mm -hmm. what I kind of feel like he's doing is a defense that you kind of call like sublimation. Where basically you have such a bad experience with something. You integrate it into yourself emotionally in a way where you like absolutely adore it. And you have to like just you, 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 you learn to love it. And Lynch, I think growing up in a time in our society when things were much simpler. Yeah. And he really wanted to fight that inclination to live a very rigid life where everything was, you know, predictable and everything was so black and white, which was his, like, antithesis. You know, like, this man has never... He's always wanted to be in color, and that's been his call to arms to do that. That I think the mention of, like, technology being as it is, being as is the computer, it's the, you know... Yeah. The the gray area of, of a very colorful life. Well, he also seems to have a lot of, like, themes and visuals kind of throwing back to, like, the 1950s. Totally. And so maybe it's kind of like, you know, also finding something kind of innocent and charming about that time. Definitely. You know? I think it's so, correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so maybe just in yeah. general, he might just be a little bit of a... Yeah, and that's, and that's the light. time that he grew up in. <laughs> yeah. That's the time that he grew up in probably seeing the world through rose-colored glasses, you know, yeah. from very small town Montana. And then as you move into when he starts moving around, going to school and seeing more of the world, and that's when he becomes a filmmaker... 
That's probably the birth of the duality that we see in all of his movies almost, yes. you know, except for the adaptations where, you know, there's, there is, I spell, this is probably the most prevalent in like Blue Velvet. You've got the light side and you got of town, you got the dark side of town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, also, you know, you've, got, but then at some point, Jeffrey and Frank, they kind of become one at one point where they start to act so much like each other that this, this seems to be that, that, that really gets for like gives you the theme of, David Lynch is he's constantly fighting between this dark and this light side of himself. Yeah. And, I, yeah. I just you were saying that and then thinking about that it, that's also very prevalent in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Too. Oh yeah. The just, lodge. This, yeah, exactly. The two different lodges. Yeah. And just did this idea of he comes from a small town America, but yet his stories are all about the darker side of small town America oh, that you never that you yeah. that you wouldn't normally ever hear. Like I just yeah. I loved that there is in Lumberton <laughs> Lumberton, wherever it is, just on the East Coast, uh, or just on the Eastern United States, has a drug dealer in town. And, like, there's like there's these there's these really seedy mm-hmm. dealings going on, mm-hmm. and yet it feels very much like that, like you said, that that 1960s 1950s Americana yeah. Yeah. that or he like, was grew up in, or like in Mulholland Drive, kind of having like the like bubbly bright star who just you know wants to become an actress and this whole other thing that's happening all in hollywood that's yeah. like you know this dark yeah. seedy underbelly kind of thing right. and also like kind of also playing on the duality thing double casting a lot of yes his, a lot of his actresses mm-hmm. um having them play two roles in, in one movie it's another psychological concept we mm-hmm. call splitting mm-hmm. Yeah, where you are either a good object completely or a bad object completely, and there's no way of integrating the two unless you have some serious thought and some serious insight. And you yeah. don't see a lot of these characters having very good insight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I see almost—I mean, not not fully—but I see almost a sense of that in the Frank character mm-hmm. in Blue Velvet too. It's just because he's one extreme or he's the other yeah. in a, in any given moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that whole movie is just about like uh, we were talking about duality, but that one, like Brian said, is the one that really gets across. Hey, whatever looks shiny and perfect has dark, deep, like s- deep seated, horrible things going on underneath it. Yeah. And that is that is very prevalent in like the opening of the movie because you see this awesome town. But then for some reason, David Lynch puts in one of those mind fuck shots <laughs> where you look down to see a whole bunch of fucking bugs running underneath the grass. Right. And you're like, yeah. beautiful. That's- and then look at the the fucking underbelly. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that idea of like this ongoing theme of pestilence, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I also love that, yeah, Jeffrey is, he's hiding as the, uh, as the Terminator. Yeah. Or, or, sorry, not the Terminator, the, uh, <laughs> the Termite Man. Um, Terminator. Is this James Cameron? James Listen to Cameron me, movie. I hear there was bugs. <laughs> your apartment. Dennis can Hopper. I go, can I go spray? You remember when I told you I would kill you last? <laughs> I lied. <laughs> blue that would be the velvet. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of blue velvet, the song you, you can tell based you on where it. he grew you up, just like it, how Sean. all these awesome old western songs. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, are in Sean, everything. Sean, I don't mean to cut you off. You, Sarah, just said something that was gold. Oh, sorry. I just said he was the termite nader. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't gold. It was just Eric silly. just took over Sarah's body. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, if I ever start a pest control company, that's what I'm calling the it. The punster strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never catch me now. <laughs> I speaking of which, I saw a picture on the internet so that someone took of like a landscaping trailer where they keep all their equipment and on the side of it it said lawn in order in the exact same font yes! and underneath it underneath it it said special mowing unit yes! <laughs> was there a car horn like dun dun 
dun dun. <laughs> I think it would freak out the kids. Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh my god, that's the greatest. It's a car horn like a gavel slamming. Yeah, exactly. I love that. So, who has seen Dune here? I've mm. seen parts oh, of Dune shit. a very okay. long time ago. Okay. I see the shit out of it. You see it? I watched it when you and Steven talked about it on Motion Picture Meltdown, and nice. then I watched it again as a refresher. And both times were the two-hour and 17-minute cut because it, that there's this myth that online that there's this four-plus-hour cut that people say doesn't exist. But mm-hmm. the uh, Frank Herbert's son, in an interview, said, I saw a five-hour cut with my dad of Dune. So yeah. it fucking exists. And once people get off their goddamn asses, it'll come out. If, if Batman's on fucking home video now eventually we'll see this cut of dune well maybe maybe not though because i think there are a lot of sci-fi fans who agree that the even though i haven't seen either adaptation um that the remake that sci-fi did that's like a three-part six part six six part six part uh, six hours remake does the source material far more justice yeah so it does but at the same time paul or paul at the same time david lynch's vision of it was really fucking cool i mean yeah. the when the, the way it was edited and what the story that they tried to put together that's the final product is really fucking confusing unless you've read the book and but the visuals were fucking solid yeah 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 well agree. and i think i mean i think it was that i mean david lynch walked away really angry after that film came out because of how much the studio cut it and changed what he wanted mm. it to be um, you he know, got he, so pissed that yeah. he literally what, what what was the, the he changed his name yeah. in the credits to um, Alan Smithy as the director and Judas Booth as the screenwriter. That's how because like, he felt he was so betrayed. He got completely fucked over by the studio though. Yeah. it was yeah. just like heartbreaking to yeah. see how yeah. disappointed he was. In but the and final. he did it at uh, at like the behest of the author, I think. Yeah, yeah. To, yeah. So. What he didn't do at the behest of the author was he completely changed the fucking ending. That that whole part where. It rains. Right. Spoilers is completely ridiculous to anybody who's a big fan of the books. Like that would first of all, the rain would kill the worms. Mm. Like that's a huge the big thing. Sand and worms. secondly, yeah, the, yeah, the worms. Yeah, if if there's a shitload of books out there, Frank Herbert did what like six, five or six of the books, and then his son with a friend of his father's has taken over doing even more after that. And there's yeah. a strong following for it. So nice. it's. Just knowing that, you know, it's got to be a tough thing. And if I and I think this happens to a lot of directors, especially when they're newer. Because I mean, what was this? Three or four years after Eraserhead? Yeah, Eraserhead yeah. was nineteen seventy one yeah. or seventy six, give or take a few. But Dune was nineteen eighty four. And Dune was his his biggest thing. Like that was the thing that he was getting. That was the movie after he did Eraserhead, which is very artsy, but got a lot of recognition. Then you do Elephant Man, which was very successful and gets nominations. Yeah. And then Dune is like, all right, let's give this guy a really big project. And he got fucked over, like you guys said, much like, you know, um, David Fincher with Alien 3 is a good example. This is a guy who got offered the job of directing Return of the Jedi by George Lucas himself. And instead he goes to do a passion project with Dune with Dino De Laurentiis. (laughs) And and look what happened. They still fuck it up. I wanted to do a film about the darker side of humanity, but I really wanted to personify it in the Ewoks. <laughs> Your face. <laughs> so Nicely opening done, scene, but... one Ewok approaches another Ewok with a switchblade 
<laughs> the other Ewok smashes that Ewok's head against the ground until his brains come out. And I know it all... sounds very reminiscent of Wild at Heart. And I'm just thinking, like, they're all speaking backwards in code. <laughs> Do you think the Ewoks yeah. would have been there if Lynch directed Jedi? Uh, with as much of a force as Lucas is of that. That's the other thing is that, like, I don't know if that would have worked. Yeah. Because you've got two very strongly minded people. And yes, fair Lucas and Spielberg have collaborated on many projects, too. In fact, he actually was the first choice for direct for Return of the Jedi. I just don't know. I, like, I think they're too different. As much as he, I think Lucas respects David Lynch <laughs> as a director. Like, I could just see, Luke. like... <laughs> Luke, when he's good, will be portrayed by Mark Hamill. But once he's, you start to think he's going to the dark side, he will be portrayed by Kyle MacLachlan. <laughs> <laughs> what is up with David Lynch's hard on for Kyle MacLachlan? Thank you. Oh, it's no. that fucking chin. I got it's one. It's that chin. I yeah. got one of them chins. And, and I just, I'm so pissed off that Kyle MacLachlan fucked his career by doing Showgirls. Oh, uh, did he no, really? He because, fucked his career by doing Showgirls. Because he, because he, he shines in these movies. Like yeah. he was amazing yes, in Blue Velvet. but does he really? Like, think about it. He shines in those roles that Lynch has written for him, but how, have you noticed how they are pretty similar? Well, I mean, I think the reason why he shines so much is because there's something that I think Lynch really likes, and that's overacting. No. And, <laughs> and I think there's something that Kyle MacLachlan does really well, and that's overacting. I, I, you know, <laughs> you say that, and yet I've also seen him, when he, when he's done some episodes of Law & Order, that sure. he is, he's really not. I think that's the thing is that because, like you said, because Lynch likes that style. Yeah. He he likes to, you know. I think he brings I mean, out we, the kind of unbridled optimism in Kyle MacLachlan's yeah. character. Right. I he mean, we saw, we saw Showgirls. We all saw Flintstones. <laughs> That was some overacting. That okay. was some pretty goofy yeah. That was some villainry. But, but, but <laughs> Holly Berry's tour de force in that movie. <laughs> really? Okay, I'm done. Look at look at Kyle Malakin in Twin Peaks. Yeah. I mean, that detective character was practically written for... Kyle oh, yeah. Oh, sure, and course. he was, honestly, a freaking crack-up. This is the best goddamn pie I've ever had. I know. It's, um. it's so... I just, funny. I just, I got this such a sense of innocence from the Jeffrey character yeah. in yeah. Blue Velvet that, and yes, are there some moments that were a little overplayed? Sure. I mean, Dennis Hopper in that movie. Jesus there comes Christ. Dennis Hopper hopping along with his fucking right. weird sex thing. And his inhaler mask. <laughs> fucking weirdness. I'm pretty sure it's nitrous. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just, it's just fucking weird. It's yeah. So like that, like his character seriously creeped me the fuck out. Yeah. Good. And that, that's the, but that's uh, the thing. That's, that's another goal. Lynch staple. He loves. Right. Portraying characters who are either all innocence, a la Kamagok and Laura Dern, things yeah. like, you know, yeah. or pure bad, pure, yeah. like, Devious. character, you know, there, depraved there are, people. Yeah. I, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I would say that there's a spectrum because, you, yes, well, you have those absolute, like, extremes. polars. You've also got the Dorothy character mm. who is a good person who has now been pulled to the dark side a little bit more. Um, because of a, of an impossible situation that she's That's in. That's true. You know? So mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know. I just look at Mulholland Drive and I think like those were a lot of polar opposite characters, you yeah. know, even even between the initial story that's happening and then the secondary story that happens. Yeah. You know, they're, people are playing off pol- polar opposites of the characters that they just played in this sort mm-hmm. of fantasy yeah. world. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I 
I get it. I mean, obviously, you need to have some sort of in-betweens to kind of keep things balanced. But yeah. when you're looking at the main characters, there's usually a, a right. one side or the other. Yeah. Right. And I do think it's interesting that despite some of the, the varied success he's had as a director, Lynch, is, he's maintained, I mean, he's maintained, like, solid professional relationships. Like, Dino De Laurentiis was the producer on Doom. <laughs> and even though that movie was considered a huge failure on both the critical and on a uh, commercial, commercial. Uh, sense. De, De, De also bankrolled, you know, Blue Velvet. And he got... Yeah. And which is, again, one of the masterpieces, right? So, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. Um, I just think it's also interesting how, like, honest he's been able to maintain or uh, remain, rather, this entire time. I mean, he's very candid and very frank about a lot of his work and a lot of his experiences in the industry. And he talks a lot about his Twin Peaks experiences, right? Mm-hmm. How, like, the whole thing about Twin Peaks ending pretty pretty quickly. It ended abruptly. Well, and yeah. also, I mean, so for one, the studios pushed him to reveal the murderer for, of Laura Palmer a lot sooner than he intended. Yeah. Which then put a whole shift on how he was going to tell the whole story, which then... Yep kind of threw off the story and then when it tanked in ratings because everybody's like okay now we know who the murderer is no yep. need to watch anymore mm-hmm. then it just ended so abruptly like that was i mean i binged it earlier this year and i, I gotta say it was it was so off-putting because it's like okay now we know who the murderer is but i'm still like okay but then there's all this other mythology the supernatural aspect to it like mm-hmm. where's all that and then it came in so quickly and then ended so quickly and mm-hmm. i was just kind of left going what yeah yeah Yeah, totally and i mean yeah to be fair like the show itself was being broadcast on a major network right abc yeah which is america's family network it's hilarious to me the show as controversial and twisted as this could be portrayed on that that's i really appreciate the fact that it's coming back and it's coming back to premium cable yeah so it's going to have a lot more creative freedom premium cable i thought it was just coming back to netflix No, no it's coming to showtime or to both? Never Showtime. The, never the, well, it'll probably end up on Netflix eventually. But yeah, nevertheless, because you've got those premium channels now, and because premium channels and streaming are where it's at for television, totally. yeah. Yeah. he's going to be able to take that creative license. And I'll be honest, like because I did I did see the first couple episodes of Twin Peaks, and it's like, it's hard to get into. It, it is. is hard. It runs, it's, well, that's, honestly, that's a lot of Lynch's stuff, where it's like the yeah. beginning of everything that he does is so slow, and then all of a sudden it starts doing like this exponential waterfall of yeah. of information and visuals and things and things being brought together that you're just like whoa whoa <laughs> there's what are one we of his doing? movies <laughs> there's one of his movies that doesn't do that they get you hooked immediately which one and we haven't talked about it very much and this happens to be one of my favorite David Lynch movies is Wild at Heart Oh, where the beginning the is where, okay yeah. we're at a big swanky party and Nicolas Cage just put somebody's brains on the floor right <laughs> and Nicolas Cage in this movie Jesus so fucking have I ever told you that this here jacket is a symbol of my individuality and personal freedom only every time I give it to you baby <laughs> oh my god I mean Lynch did describe the movie as a combination strange blend of a road picture a love story yep. psychological drama and, and a Wizard pretty violent comedy <laughs> and so the Wizard of Oz he went all out there's a lot of elements from Wizard of Oz in there too yeah he he, yeah. De- he was definitely influenced again yeah. his subconscious his his interests 
his fantasies. It's all dream. It's all it's all magic realism. That's what we has call anybody it. here besides Roxy and I seen this movie. I have not. I haven't seen. But it again, either. thinking oh, about watch him. it and try your hardest not to think that Quentin Tarantino ro- robbed a lot of ideas from this movie and put them in true romance. It's kind of yeah. Funny. I actually, I well, I watched. I remember watching the opening scene when we did the Nicolas Cage episode. Nice. Yeah. And I just remember going, "Wow, okay, I'm putting this on the list of movies I need to see at some point because what the fuck?" <laughs> it's definitely got a lot of cheesy Kyle MacLachlan esque overacting in it. Yeah. yeah. But well, and overall, I, I couldn't said, stop watching. Well, I mean, that's what I said on the Nick Cage episode, too. I was like, this, that seems like a really good pair to me to have David Lynch and Nicolas Cage because, hello, melodrama and overacting. Like, right. that's yeah. that's it, you know? Definitely. Um, you know, just kind of quickly going back to Twin Peaks for a second. I love the fact that he was able to revisit the story from a new perspective with the film. Yeah. The Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me made in 1992. Which I still haven't seen yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, he talks more. It, it's it's a real examination of the impact of um, incest mm-hmm. and the trauma and how that can really just be so pervasive in a person's life and the community that they're from. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really can appreciate how he he just wanted to explore that further and yeah. give Laura Palmer kind of a second chance. Sure. So I thought that was really successful. Um, but, but it was not a time, successful movie, was it? It, it wasn't, bombed and was critically panned, Yeah, but at the same time, like I think he got a chance to do Twin Peaks the way he wanted to do it. And yeah. now that he's getting a chance to get, I'm just so excited for him. Sure. You know? And then he definitely went on a darker path again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when we talk about Lost Highway. Because holy fuck. <laughs> I haven't seen this one. Yeah. It's bad. Yeah. Well, let's, let's just skip past it then. Because then there's... <laughs> hey, let's just say this, Sarah. Lost Highway was the last acting performance by convicted murderer Robert Blake. And the first acting performance of Marilyn Manson. Really? No shit. Okay, now I need to see it. Yeah, girl. (laughs) And then he followed with uh, The Straight Story. Which was a total departure. Oh, yeah. I want to tell a story now (laughs) about an old man really just driving across the country. (laughs) And I really want it to be about forgiveness and lawnmowers. And wait, wait, wait. <laughs> check this out. I'm about to blow your mind. PG. Oh. <laughs> game changer. But then, you know, we end with Mulholland Drive. Which, um, I mean, this this movie was a big freaking deal when it came out. <laughs> like, it, it earned him another, it, like, his third Academy Award nomination for Best yep. Director. And it was really critically acclaimed by many, many people. And... It's weird. <laughs> very line linear. Yeah. Very interesting. So like, I honestly I, think I, that it, um, that uh, Naomi Watts was snubbed for a nomination for that movie too. Oh. Like just how yeah. crazy she is near the end and how perfect she seems to be in the beginning. And then like that fucking masturbation scene was so like mind bendingly realistic. Yeah. It was it cre- but creepy, really... but at the same time, like. You feel for yeah. her throughout it. It's really weird. I just, yeah, yeah, I just kind of, I mean, I watched it and I was just absorbing all of this. Had to do a little backtracking because I was like, wait, what just happened? We just totally completely changed, mm-hmm. changed what was going on in this entire film. 
and I don't want to spoil it, but, you know, hey, it was early 2000s, so catch up. But, I mean, this whole thing where it's, like, you know, this whole, like, kind of weird, perfect, like, you know, love story almost. And then with, you know, kind of, like, trying to solve this mystery. And then all of a sudden it flips the script. And then you find out, like, all of this is just a fantasy world mm-hmm. for this, you know, one woman who's just really obsessed with her, her co-star. Totally. And it's... It's just mind-boggling, and I'm still kind of wrapping my head around the intro. Like, I don't understand why all the people were swing dancing in the beginning, eh. aside from the fact that I'm like, oh, my, I'm about to watch a Gap commercial from the early it's, 2000s. It's her dream, though. Was that? Yeah. I, yeah. But what did it have It's to her do with, dream because it's, it's a projection only, of her fantasy. Yeah. It's not only about her obsession with Camila slash Rita. It's uh-huh. also about her obsession with being a successful actress and with, like, the glitz and glamour of Hollywood. So you've got both of those things where you see the light version of it and then you see the dark version of it a lot like Blue Velvet. Again, the swing dancing thing is up for interpretation. I'm like, that's the, that's the, the, I mean, I got the rest of it. Up for interpretation. The blue box is up for interpretation. What that means. The weird fucking vignette with the the guy in the Winkies diner is up to a shitload of interpretation. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like, I, I mean, like I, for the most part, I understood what was happening. I'm just like. It, yeah, it was the swing dancing and the weird, creepy homeless dude. What, I, dude, the weird, woman, creepy it, homeless dude what was is it? a symbol of failure. Oh. And the reason they yeah. show you that vignette, at least what I think in the beginning, is you see this man's nightmare of failure and then it manifests itself in real life. He talks about how he saw it in a dream and then he sees sure. that failure in real life. And it hurts him. And then okay. later on, you have you find out that Diane woke up from a dream, and then she sees her real failure, and that's why that is why the old like homeless hobo creeper person is in the room when she kills herself at the end. Okay, okay, that makes boom. Sense. See, I'm fucking I, I mean, shot, <laughs> dude. But the scene though, um, in the like Club Silencio. With that oh, woman God. singing the Spanish version of like Roy Orbison's "Crying," yeah, mm-hmm. dude, that was a gorgeous scene. Yeah, it was. That was awesome. remarkably beautiful. Yeah. And so, that's a I mean, huge... there's like there's these moments where they're just it's just beautiful artistry. Yeah, and then other parts where it's just fucking weird as shit. And like, that's what's the real David Lynch is like hard on for Roy Orbison. Like he he fifties it... nostalgia. I guess so. Yeah, it's all yeah. about nostalgia, and, and I love scene, the fact that he has well... yeah. Go ahead, Sean. I was going to say that scene of Club Silencio is actually the part where the movie really takes its turn. Most people kind of see it very clearly as when the cowboy tells her, it's time to wake up, darling. But really, that scene is the transition from her fantasy world that she's been living in as she's been locked up in her house for three weeks of depression. Uh, That's where we see it. Like she's starting to realize that the real world's coming back. Right, wow. right. Yeah. Because yeah. that in that in that yeah. scene when they're singing before the Roy Orbison song, they sing they basically say something about the everything being an illusion in several different languages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So that's where you're mm-hmm. like, Okay, something's happening. Yeah. What's it oh oh yeah. I just got really depressed. Yeah. But I, I gotta say, 
David Lynch really does love his rooms with curtains. Oh, yeah. He loves him some curtains. (laughs) (laughs) That man loves him curtains. He really does. Curtains in Club Silencio, and then, like, the guy in the wheelchair's got all the curtains, and then all the curtains in the White Lodge or or the Black Lodge in Twin Peaks. He should be an interior decorator. um, Curtains (laughs) curtains for the credits, for the opening and closing credits of Blue Velvet. Pretty prevalent, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Prevalent. Maybe there's a certain element of theatricality then to oh, it oh surely I, yeah it's definitely it's yeah. framing yeah. he's framing it for you he's kind of putting yeah. you in a certain mood yeah definitely definitely um and i love the fact that he has a consistent collaborator with him this entire time and that's his composer for all of his films his name's angelo badalamenti and it's the same italian just genius composer and you look at all the different scores that are used throughout the films like i'll still never forget the eraser head score like that stuff Mm. sticks with me you know because it's just so like strange and just disturbing and accompanies with the imagery that we're like already taking in there's a lot of stimulation happening (laughs) there's a reason that that soundtrack comes with a lot of david lynch uh like collection dvd box sets and and blu-ray sets that comes with eraser head and most of them because it's so like put that shit on in the background and try to have a good day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just play it while you're That's cleaning great. your house and all of a sudden you'll be like, I just realized that my vacuuming is a metaphor for how I am kind of constantly feeling unclean by all of the sins that I've committed. <laughs> well, if your subconscious guilt about your sins is driving you to make certain choices, Makes kind of sense that a vacuum cleaner would trigger that for you. And the David Lynch kind of sense. Yeah, also because it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Is it me or maybe we should have David Lynch direct the Dyson commercials? I think so. (laughs) I also love the fact that he's um, influenced mainly by European directors rather than American ones. Mm -hmm. Even though a lot of American directors, namely Kubrick... um, Lucas, uh, freaking, uh, who else am I thinking of? Um, uh, Fincher, even, or, um, of course, you know, Mel Brooks. They all are, you know, inspired by him. He's inspired by uh, Kubrick in particular, Federico Fellini, Werner mm-hmm. Herzog, Jacques Tati. What and about Billy Godard? Uh, probably. He's yeah, got some I, French I New Wave flavor, so I figure he's got to yeah. love him. Well, and I, I actually, it's kind of cool that, you know, he's so influenced by Kubrick and yet Eraserhead is one of Kubrick's favorite films. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just that fascination he, he, like with Europe in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, we didn't mention Venture's mm-hmm. last feature film that he ever made um, as far back as 2006. And it's called Inland Empire. Um, to be honest with you, it was so critically like not acclaimed yeah and it really just kind of critically disclaimed yeah exactly (laughs) unclaimed Unclaimed. well someone's got to give laura dern work so i mean if it's not him (laughs) she got she got she got left out of the last jurassic park movie when i was really looking forward to seeing her but this motherfucker loves laura dern and if he's gonna get laura dern work because i love laura dern she was in wild with reese willishbone she She was great the movie yeah yeah Yeah. but all that to say it's like that movie faded into obscurity is you know, yeah. took two years to make. I mean, yeah, but then he had a huge comeback in 2011 with Duran Duran on stage. <gasps> That's right. Yeah, so I'm just saying. <laughs> I wanted still... to make a concert film about the darker side of humanity. <laughs> that just speaks to his, 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 his flexibility. Sacrosanct for the similitude? Yeah. 
Yeah. His <laughs> total verisimilitude. The sacrosanct verisimilitude. I, I want to talk about of the duplicity like the of the <laughs> dichotomy of I'm the Duran be... and the Duran. <laughs> I am directing the new quote unquote gritty version of the Power Rangers where we find <laughs> out that the Power Rangers and Zordon are all a figment of Alpha 5's imagination. And Alpha oh 5 God. isn't actually a robot. He's a fifth grader with autism. God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, dear. Wow. Well, my favorite quote about Lynch says, his films are so packed with motifs, recurrent characters, images, compositions, and techniques that you could view his entire output as one large jigsaw puzzle of ideas. Yeah. And that's pretty much sums up why I love Lynch so much. He's fearless, he's a true artist, and he sticks to his guns. And yeah. that's what makes him a true engineer, like you said. I think that the, what, what I get from David Lynch movies is even though all of his movies are very cryptic and they're so metaphorical and he is very indirect with the way that you discover the ideas, I think that we can also probably get a better idea of who this director is better than we can from most other directors. Because it seems like he's sharing pieces of his soul with these movies. And we can relate to them on a primal level. And that's why I think that David Lynch has probably shared more of himself than many directors have. Yeah. Nicely said. Yeah. Brian. Yeah, he's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> Do it in your David Lynch voice. Yeah. And what else can you say about him? I mean, he, he's got... I wish there were more directors like him. Even if his movies are hard to watch, at least he's an original voice. And like that, that's awesome. It's like, you know, I feel the same way about a lot of his movies as I do about Terrence Malick. They're hard to watch, but fuck if they aren't original. And mm -hmm. fuck if they don't have some awesome essence to them that you can't relate to, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I think I like that there's always multiple layers that you're going to pull out of every single film that you do watch of his. And, um... I, I honestly feel that a lot of times there's movies for entertainment and movies for thinking and movies for, for challenging your intellect. Um, and I feel like Lynch definitely challenges intellect. And I, it, again, like Brian said, we need more more directors like him to to sort of kind of put those challenges out there. So If yeah. Lynch directed a Marvel movie, what do you think <laughs> it would be like? Uh, I wish oh, he was doing Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah I was just about exactly to say that shit. Like Doctor well, Strange, well have him do Blade, the new Blade. Uh, or, <laughs> yeah. actually, no, it's funny. Have him do Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> that would be That's oh not a bad God. idea. Because I think that's the natural choice you would you would make if you're going to have Lynch do a Marvel movie, right? Why not? Yep. Howard the Duck? Howard the Duck, yeah. I wanted to make a story about innocence that's been tarnished but I want to do it through the duck. <laughs> <laughs> through the duck. The duck is the conduit. <laughs> oh man! Uh, you know what? Oh if, if, That's great. if we're if we're going to sum up David Lynch in one movie quote from a movie that David Lynch didn't direct, it would probably be from the movie. Get him to the Greek. And I posted this on Instagram <laughs> last night where I was like, it's when P. Diddy's like, you got to learn the art of the mind, fuck. 
I'm mind fucking you right now. And the guy's like, are you really? And he's like, can you feel my dick fucking your mind? <laughs> that is how I felt. I felt like David Lynch. I was like, David Lynch, are you mind fucking me right now? And, and fucking P. Diddy with David Lynch hair and that voice was like, can you feel my dick fucking your mind? Can you feel it? <laughs> I mean, there we go. That's absolutely how it is. <laughs> All right, guys. So do we have any listener feedback? Listener feedback. Yeah. Well, first of all, you you just mutter the word karaoke, and apparently that we got a ton of feedback. We got we've gotten uh, Bob. suggestions for fucking musicals. Yeah. people suggesting Into the Woods. Yeah, Athena wants to hear me do my musical theater voice. We obviously want to just uh, suddenly see more. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, we were just joking, but people I mean, are like super into it. Were you really fucking <laughs> like, joking? Because it I didn't think... sound like a joke. I was super psyched for this shit. I, I mean, I'm... I was kind of half joking because I didn't think anybody wanted to hear us sing. Yeah, episode, who gives a fuck yeah, what I mean, 600 cool. people want to hear? We want to do this. We're going to fucking do it. <laughs> okay. It could make us happy. I am the David Lynch people. of karaoke podcast ideas. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Uh, do you want to read the one from Mike? Mike uh, emailed in subject line movies, which, you know, great. Cool, because I thought you were going to talk about saddle soap. <laughs> <laughs> um, he said, hey, guys, dig your podcast. Each one is a gem, even when I disagree with it sometimes. I recently finished uh, Avengers and Jurassic World. Honestly, both movies were disappointing to me. Avengers just didn't feel like it did anything because Ultron could have caused irreparable damage to the entire globe, but basically decided a meteor was the way to go. Um, And he said it felt cheap. And then he doesn't ever think that the um, Avengers learn anything. Um, And then also he, oh, he agreed that the Black Widow and Bruce Banner thing was obviously forced. Um, And uh, with Jurassic World, that shit, I didn't mind it. Okay. Yeah. You're you're allowed to have your opinion, Sean. You go, Glen Coco. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then as far as Jurassic World is concerned, he just basically felt that the old characters um were just, you know, or were pushed out for the new characters. The brother sister became a brother and a brother and there were a lot of old tropes, the cool guy needing to save the day and um, the trope of having a stiff working woman and all that other stuff. So um, I think he was he was less than impressed, but, you know, obviously the box office says otherwise. Yeah. Um, he says, I'm a faithful listener, but I do think they were meh, not something worth watching twice, but something you put in the background to do chores. Well, I... <laughs> That's you do you boo. Yeah, good. exactly. Yeah. That's our new. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with the last statement because movies like that do have a high rewatch value. But yeah, I mean, sure. you know, they're not going. You can't please everybody with those. This can I read the one from Mo? Please. Uh, this is from Mo. I'm pretty sure this is from my actual friend Mo. Um, what's up, Mo? Good to hear from you. Um, actually, Sean, you might be able to answer this question for him. Says, I had a quick question when you do your podcast. How long is it without editing? How do you determine what gets cut? How long would a normal recording go for? All right. So let's start with this. Um, much like Dune, we have about five hours of uh, actual <laughs> audio that I kind of you know, distill down to a pretty funny hour, hour, 15 minutes. Um, and you can't actually tell because you're only hearing my voice, but I'm actually played by Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yes. 
I'm just kidding. Okay. Honestly, I probably cut somewhere between five and ten minutes from every episode, and mostly it's time where, like, we're like, hold on, we're researching something, or, you know, um, I'm going to be honest, I cut out a lot of my nonsense, so the version you hear of me is way less annoying than what Roxy and Sarah and Brian <laughs> actually have to deal with. <laughs> That's very kind of you to say. Yes. Sean, um, you're not that bad. And uh, let's see. How long would you would a normal recording go for? Yep. About an hour and 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, and that's per episode. How do I determine what gets we've cut? Been here s- Brian said it. That's how I cut things. <laughs> Fuck Brian. <laughs> Fuck you. Mean. Fuck Brian. Uh, I'm I love you. Oh. I love you, and I miss shit you. In my party. Really, for the most part, I cut oh. out a lot of stupid shit that I say, and then I cut out things that are like dragging on. Honestly, I'm like, as soon as I feel yeah. like yeah. I'm not having fun listening anymore, I just cut pieces out until I get to the next best part. Yeah, I mean, pulling pulling back the curtain just a little bit. I mean, we we pretty much spend the Sunday night in this room. Uh, we do two episodes in a sitting, so we're usually here. Between, can we take a break in between? So we're usually here anywhere from, from three and a half to four hours for two sitting. episodes. For two episodes, yeah. yeah so, and the second part of his feedback says that uh, just a quick story: the summer before my senior year, I took a film class at Evergreen College, uh, and the professor was incredible. Among the things I learned from him was that the way it, it was that. He, in a way, predicted that movies would come out on a Friday so that a person could go see it in theaters, go to the store, and buy it or go home and watch it on VOD. Um, I can't be sure if it was his own idea. Perhaps he read articles about it himself. Right. And I think it's a callback to our August release discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but right I that. also and think I mean, also that probably what's wrong with that feedback is that movies come out on Friday in the theaters, mm-hmm. but movies come out on VOD and on home video on Tuesdays. Well, I think yep. he might also be talking about the simultaneous release because with simultaneous releases now, they're doing there's there even there's even now iTunes movies you can see before. Mm. Oh yeah, it's gotten out of control. Or on VOD on DirecTV or whatever yeah. on whatever. Uh, op- and but, but yeah, there's also the simultaneous release is now happening, which yep. is kind of interesting. So, totally, totally. Yeah, it'll just be, as long as people see it, that's all that matters. It'll be weird yeah. when like Avengers is simultaneously released. Yeah. You know, right that's also that's films, also but, the uh, point of view of many flashers. Is as long as someone sees it, that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about that. I do that. What? <laughs> anyway, um, so if you do, we have any more? No, I think the most the other ones we can save for okay history. All right. Uh, so guys, if you want to send us some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to nerdonomy.com and click the talk to us button and it'll send us a nice, lovely email. Um, and while you're there, if you're feeling so generous, if you want to click that donate button, that would be absolutely lovely. Yeah. Otherwise, you can check out the stuff on our blog, check out the stuff on our merch page. Speaking of our website, um, Athena, we did get your feedback about our out of date. Um, oh, um, yeah. Like bios. I'm thinking we're definitely going to be addressing that pretty soon. Yeah, we will. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm uh, one of my projects is to re polish that site. Yeah. Oh, can put I come some, up with a new fucked up new story about myself? Yeah, I mean, exist? I'm st- I mean, I'm still trying to work on my campaign for Galactic Empress for 2024. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't I don't see I don't think I need to update anything. No. But... Right now, I mean, right now uh, she's working really hard on getting Alpha Centauri. Yeah. Um it's a swing it's a swing galaxy. Yeah. So, it's it's really it's really hard to get <laughs> Oh, I mean, in politics. I, it's just, there's some like serious hot button issues about satellite I pollution. Do that a film. Must, I'm... I want to do a film about elections, but through the eyes of an alien. 
Um, anyway, uh, you guys can also uh, go to, if you want to support us, go to audibletrial.com slash anatomy. Or if you're on our website and you see anything from Amazon link, just click that banner and um, your purchases from that will go to a little cut will go to us. Um, otherwise, uh, if you guys just want to hit us up, you can go to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, find us nerdonomy it's super simple um but most importantly tell your friends about us um give us a review on itunes or stitcher or just spread the word nerd in general because uh we really need more listeners spread the word of nerd like a bird turd yeah. <laughs> yes finally yep. brian said it i've been waiting for you to read my shit oh god oh god jesus thank oh. you for showing me the light this is an iconic mobro moment uh and nerds, it is that time. So until we, uh, well, and then so until nerds, we stay nerdy, <laughs> until we stay until nerdy, we please stay meet nerdy. again and um, tune into us yesterday. Same bird time, same turd channel, nerdonomy.gov. Uh, Sarah Ashley for Galactic Empress 2024. <laughs> is that for uh, Let's do that again. Uh, no, I say leave that shit. <laughs> Just, no. just end it. No, it man, is that was beautiful. <laughs> Tune into us next time. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. See ya. Sailor! And roll credits. And now, famous movie quotes you shouldn't say during sex. Harry, I have no idea where this will lead us, but I have a definite feeling it will be a place both wonderful and strange. Great. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, technically speaking, it was from a TV show, but whatever. That's